All right, well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Um, and uh, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Um, we'll get going and um, and we'll get into our lesson. It's going to be uh, kind of a new study that we're opening up to take a look at some things, um, just kind of some very interesting uh, passages. But uh, um, it's uh, kind of, if you will, uh, setting a little bit of a stage for some of the other discussions. So uh, I don't know if I'm going to necessarily kind of segregate this into its own separate category or lump it all together. So, uh, Brandon, good luck on uh, trying to find a title for this because I don't know <laughs> what I would call it. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this opportunity to be here. I thank you again for your word which you have given to us. I thank you so much that we have this um, uh, this word that's perfect and preserved for us. The Lord, we can understand it as you teach it to us through your Holy Spirit. And tonight, Lord, as we look at the subject matter, I pray that uh, above all, uh, your name would be praised and your word would be praised. What you do for us, it would be uh, very evident and uh, why we do what we do, uh, specifically regarding this subject. And Lord, again, I just thank you uh, again for those that are here tonight. I pray, Lord, that uh, we'd all be blessed by uh, your teaching. And these things I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> all right. So now the first uh, um, few verses uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, kind of verses 1 through 4, uh, deal with a messianic prophecy. Uh, specifically, this messianic prophecy is uh, in regards to um, the character of Christ, um, who he is, uh, what he's uh, about, uh, essentially, uh, the, the, the heart of him, if you will. And in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow of his roots. So obviously we see very clearly this is talking about Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesse obviously being uh, King David's father. Uh, that rod, again, uh, symbol of authority, power, obviously representing the word of God, uh, and talking about that stem and that branch. And notice that it's a capital B. It's a branch as in a, uh, as in a name for Jesus Christ. And it says, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And in verse 2, it gets into, uh, if you will, the character of Christ. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And if you count those all separately, you see that there's seven distinct, if you will, spirits or mentions, which matches with what we see over in Revelation chapter 4, which talks about the seven spirits of God that are before the throne. And, uh, you know, again, very similar to here. But in verse 3, and it says, And shall make of him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath, uh, breath of his lips, 
shall he slay the wicked. Now, obviously, this is referring to uh, the first, uh, if you will, advent and the second advent. So it's talking about his ministry here on earth as well as his millennial reign here in um, uh, on, on this earth itself. That 1,000-year millennial reign, which comes about when he returns uh, with the saints, sets foot on the actual earth itself, and uh, um, begins to rule and reign. Israel is set as the preeminent nation. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning out of Jerusalem those things that are there. But, uh, and, and I thought about going through these seven spirits, talking about them individually, going through uh, the importance behind them, the importance behind the reflection of uh, Christ and what we see here um, and uh, going through that. But before we go through that, there is one that has to kind of be addressed first so that we get an understanding about this concept. And that's the last one that's mentioned in verse 2 and then also kind of talked about in verse 3, and that is the fear of the Lord. And in verse 3 it says, It shall make him um, uh, of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Now this is an interesting concept when we start thinking about this. How can Christ, uh, you know, obviously in this messianic prophecy that we see here, how can Christ fear God? I mean, it's kind of like some of the same questions that are asked when you go over to the Gospels and you find Jesus Christ saying, uh, not my will be done, but thine be done. And Jesus Christ being God and, and uh, obviously uh, God in the flesh being the word, um, you know, there's, there's kind of this, if you will, this mindset where sometimes people don't get what's going on there. But as you look at it and you study what it's going on there, he's talking about doing the will of the Father. And he came to do the will of his Father, not his own, meaning he's not coming to do a fleshly will. He's coming to do a spiritual will that is from God himself. And that spiritual will was obviously to provide a way of salvation. Uh, you know, obviously that was what John uh, the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And, and, and we, we, we see here very clearly that this is a similar concept. It's talking about him obviously being in the fleshly form in his gospel ministry, the three and a half years that he was here. And this is what the first part is talking about. Because this messianic prophecy is, is kind of, if you will, separated into the two. It deals with that, as I said, that first advent, his ministry on earth, and then it deals with his reign on earth. And again, the, the, you know, I'm not going to get into too much detail about that, but what I wanted to address was the subject of the fear of the Lord. And this is, this is a big thing that a lot of people sometimes have questions on about what is it? What is it? When we see that obviously over there, Paul tells Timothy, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So we understand that uh, fear, when used incorrectly, leads to irrational thought. Uh, it leads to a heart that is um, uh, misdirected because of the affections of certain elements here in this earth. Uh, uh, whether they're fleshly in nature, whether it's the own mind, whether, you know, th- there's all sorts of things that are going to affect the heart. But when we start talking about what is this fear, 
We understand the concept of emotions going back to what we've talked about before. The four emotions are basically the happy, sad, fear, and anger. And there's a various mix of those two. You can create some sort of concoction with them, and anxiety typically resides under the fear, but there can be a good anxiety where there's an anticipation. You're anxiously awaiting something. So if somebody comes back home uh, from being gone for a long time, you're there at the airport, and you're anxiously awaiting that person's return. You're not fearful, but you're, you, you're, there's definitely something that is there. There's an anxiety. This is why I say we have to be careful with anxiety. Most people want to throw away and do away with anxiety. But God created it for a reason for us, that we are to use it correctly. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. So we know that anger itself is not sinful because God gets angry. So we understand that there is the concept of anger can be used incorrectly, can be used sinfully. So we want to make sure that we're using it the right way, which is Ephesians 4. Uh, that's what it's talking about, using it in the correct format, the correct way that God intended us uh, to use it. And the same goes with anything that God gives us. People mishandle the word of God. It's it's obviously the word of God. It's not sinful in its own right, but I've seen people use it to justify sin. Uh, you know, the, uh, our bodies, our bodies are a gift from God. I've seen people uh, use their body for the Lord and give their body for the Lord. Um, you know, I remember reading as a young child, or I shouldn't say young child, probably a teenager, uh, reading the, uh, biography of Jonathan Goforth, uh, which is a, a very, very hard, hard read because it's, uh, it's filled with a lot of sadness. Jonathan Goforth, when he was a missionary in China, suffered several things, uh, including being hit in the head with a sword, uh, being in a, a coma, almost dying, losing several children to disease and other things. Uh, he had a, he had a tough life and, 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 and I, you know, I, I think about something of that nature and, and I realize that there's, um, you know, there's a, uh, if you will, an importance behind using the body correctly and he used it correctly. He continued to serve the Lord, giving of his own life. Many people have done that. Uh, there's the whole uh, book about Through the Gates of Splendor, where uh, missionaries gave their life to go tell uh, tribes in the Amazon. But I've also seen people use the body for their own sinful behaviors, using it for their own sinful pleasures. I mean, and those are some simple things that we can realize and that we can think about, but but the concept is still there, especially when we come back to that subject of fear. There is a right fear and there is a wrong fear. And when we say the word fear, there's automatically something that comes up in our mind, right? We think of somebody that is scared. We think of somebody that is afraid. We think of the individuals where knees are knocking, teeth are chattering, uh, their eyes are, 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 are huge. They're, they're, they're petrified. They cannot move. Well, that is a form of fear, but that's not what fear is itself. That's a, that's a physical manifestation of that emotion fear, just like anxiety. 
You have anxiety. Uh, and, and as I always say, I, I still get anxious coming up here, getting ready to deliver, deliver a message or a lesson or whatever it may be. I still get anxious. I don't try to dispel that or get rid of it. I use it to just remind me that, hey, what I'm doing is serious. The, the, the Lord has put a great uh, responsibility. Uh, I need to take it seriously. So anxiety is kind of a normal thing. And, and, and I just deal with it the way that the Lord tells me to deal with it, which is, again, casting my care upon him, uh, trusting in him, faithful is he who uh, uh, that calleth you who also do it. I mean, there's, there's so many verses that I rely on that goes back to the trusting of the Lord. So when I start talking about this this idea of of fear, you can kind of compare it with some of that stuff with anxiety because you get butterflies in your stomach, your palms start to sweat, you get beads coming down your 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 your, your head and a, a beads of sweat coming down your head or down your back or whatever it may be because you're anxious about something. There's a physical response. The same thing with 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 all sorts of other things. There's a physical response to sadness. Ever notice how when you get sad, all of a sudden your head just kind of goes into a fog? You've been, it, it, it produces a physical action of crying sometimes. There's a physical response. Uh, sometimes that sadness is, as uh, uh, David describes it, it hurts all the way into your bones. It, it, it hurts your insides. I mean, it's a pain. It's a, it is a physical pain that is associated with it. So when we think of fear, we often think of the physical manifestation of what fear is. But we know that when we come boldly to the throne of grace, as he says we can do because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we realize that it's not that kind of, if you will, scared mentality. There's a difference with that fear of the Lord. There's a difference. So let's talk about what is fear. And when we start talking about fear of the Lord, initially some people will start talking about and they'll say, well, it's like a form of honor or respect. Mm. I don't think that's a good enough definition. I, I think when you look at it and you look at things from Scripture, it becomes very apparent that God has a different working definition of the word fear. So let's kind of examine that for a moment. Let's go ahead and turn over to Psalm chapter 31. Psalm chapter 31. And we're going to start building, if you will, a case for uh, kind of a, 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 to look at some biblical ideas about fear. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 31 and in verse uh, 19, uh, He says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Now, this is a very interesting verse um, that we see here because, again, the, the, the key, if you will, pivoting word that we see with this passage is, uh, is trust. If you're fearful of somebody in a kind of incorrect way, it does not lead to trust. It doesn't lead to trust. 
If you're fearful that somebody's going to rob you or take advantage of you or take your money, you're not going to trust them with $10. You're just not. If you're fearful because of the way somebody drives or the way that uh, they behave behind the wheel of a vehicle, I'll tell you this, you're not going to trust them and give them your car to use. So, so we, we, we begin to understand that concept that the Lord's teaching us here. And he talks about this specifically with this idea of trust, combining it with the fear that we see here in the first part. But he talks about how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid upon them that fear thee. Now, again, you talk about somebody that's fearful and somebody that is afraid and frightened. That person you're not going to say is exemplifying the greatness and goodness of God. So we begin to realize that there is a much greater definition to this word. And here he is talking about it. And what part of that fear begins to do is that fear, as we see it related here in in, in similar context because of the way the sentence structure is made, the way that the punctuation is put, it's referencing that trust is part of that. Trust has to be part of fear. Specifically, fear in God. And I'll show you why in just a minute. But but again, we begin to see that this is a little bit different than the honor and the reverence that we see that, that, that people often say the fear of the Lord is. Notice that this trust, though, is before, uh, uh, if you will, before the sons of men. You can kind of take that, you know, kind of a two ways when you look at it. Number one, you can see it as in we trust God as a demonstration in front of individuals. When we're going through difficult times, we're going through problems, and we trust the Lord. Uh, the men, the women, the children that are around us are going to see that and respond. And some respond negatively, some respond positively. But also at the same time, a lot of people will start trusting men before they will start trusting God. And that becomes a big issue. So I kind of like to look at this, you know, kind of from that different perspective. And I understand exactly what, what, what context this is talking about in, 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 if you will, in the demonstrable way. But also at the same time, I see it very clearly that, that the first thing that we are supposed to do as part of this fear of the Lord, is exemplify the trust. Exemplify the trust. One of the greatest problems that we see in the Christian life is that. We just don't trust God enough. I mean, we're more willing to trust, you know, if you will, um, someone else that may have some worldly wisdom than before we trust God. I mean, God has outlined for us the way that we're supposed to behave, the way that we're supposed to act, uh, the, 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 the manners in which we are supposed to uh, um, exhibit ourselves. And, and very clearly, we see that it is supposed to reveal that we trust God. We're supposed to follow his word. We trust his word. And he's not a man that he should lie. We know that from scripture. 
So very clearly we begin to see that the Lord is setting this, if you will, this definition up, that it starts with that, and we're going to come back to it as part of the definition, as part of what we see with this fear of the Lord and what the fear of the Lord is about. So let's take a look at a couple of verses. I want us to go over to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, and we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and in verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. He's like, this is, this is what I require. This is all God ever asked of Israel. And to a degree, this is all he ever asks of us. And, and, and when we begin thinking about that for a minute, about what, what the Lord's teaching us, we, we see very clearly that that with the nation of Israel as an example, for us, there's something that we're supposed to be doing here. But notice the very first part of it where he says, what does the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God? To start there. To start there. And then following after that, there is what? There are things to do. So we find that fear is like many emotions, a motivator for action. Anger should be a motivator for action. Should be a motivator to fix the problem. Not make the problem worse, but to fix the problem. Or sit back and say, I can't do that. This is something that God has to handle. So when we look at this, what's going on here, we see he says, uh, you know, uh, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes. And we see he breaks it down into very simple terms. Very simple terms. And, 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 and again, it's, it becomes very apparent that this fear is not about fearing necessarily of messing up. That's part of it, but that's not the main thought of fear. That's not the main thought of fear. So we kind of see a list of, if you will, of things to do. Once you keep that verse in mind, we'll, we'll refer back to it. And I want you to go over to the next book in Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, as uh, Joshua's getting ready to exit this earth, in verse 14, he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And he makes a distinction here. There's a little bit of some things here that he says we need to avoid. The other verse was talking about things to do, but here he makes it very clear of what not to do. He says put away, basically, false gods. 
Anything that is not God needs to be put away. Needs to be put away. Last night in basic, um, Heather was teaching the, the, um, the children and, uh, she was talking about, uh, um, you know, things that, uh, uh, that we're supposed to do, lay aside certain things. And, uh, she had the kids coming up and they were opening these boxes and inside the boxes were words that had sins in them. And she had them, you know, flinging the boxes, you know, all over this auditorium. It was, it was funny. It was hilarious to see them because that's kind of what we need to do with sin, right? Sin, sin even begins, you know, you open that box and you go, oh man, this is, oh, nope. You want to throw that thing away. You want to, you want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. You want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. You don't want to entertain it. You don't want it around. You don't want to keep it in the box for safekeeping later on. No, you just get rid of it. And here he's saying one of the key things that the nation of Israel had to be careful of is Joshua's warning them. He says, you need to make sure you don't go back to what you came from. Now that will preach. Because many of us, as Paul talks about, we were saved from some pretty severe wickedness. And we were saved from that. And God put us, uh, you know, on the rock of Christ and, and we have salvation and we have forgiveness of sins and we have eternal life. Praise God for that. But I, I'll tell you this, we don't go back to those things. We don't go back to beggarly elements. We don't go back to the sinful things. We, we don't have carte blanche to just live our life the way that we want to live it. We don't have, you know, this, this liberty to go out there and just uh, live our life to our own pleasure and our own sin. It says God forbids that. So we find here something about putting away. And I want to make, again, I want to make you aware of that phrase of something to avoid here. So, so we've seen two of these verses and we're going to see a couple of verses that parallel with them. So let's go over to the book of Isaiah again. And this time we're going to go to Isaiah chapter eight. Isaiah chapter eight. I'm going to have you bouncing around a little bit tonight because, again, this is the idea and the concept where we're comparing Scripture with Scripture. We're looking at what the Lord says about certain things, specifically here about fear. The two verses very clearly talked about fearing the Lord, serving Him, fearing the Lord, and doing uh, certain things to walk in His ways and, and obey His commandments, as He says there. But here in, in Isaiah chapter 8, and verse 13, it says, Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Now, 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 here is the, the interesting part. And it even continues on into verse 14 here. But we think about that word sanctify. Now, we're sanctified in Jesus Christ. That's part of salvation. That's one of those T-I-O-N words that, that, that we, 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 we look at. But sanctification is a continual process. Sanctification is something that is done daily. Sanctification is something that you have to purpose in your mind to do. Well, the things of the, 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 the temple, they were consecrated and they were sanctified. And that means that they were specifically set aside for a holy purpose and a holy use of God. You couldn't go and use the table of showbread for a garage sale. You can go on there and say, hey, you know, the, 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 my, I didn't pay my power bill. Can I borrow the candlestick? 
out of the temple. It didn't work that way. Those things were dedicated to the temple. They were dedicated to God. They were consecrated. Uh, it means that they were specifically there for that purpose. They were given a purpose and they were sanctified, meaning that they were set aside for that. So we as Christians, we have to understand that that sanctification that we are is we're set aside for that specific use. Use of God and him alone. So when we get to this word, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, well, what do we see here? We can't make him any more holy than he is. Because he is holy. He is the definition of holy. So what are we talking about here? It means that we are setting him in a specific place in our hearts. That temple in our hearts, right? We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are setting him in his place. That doesn't mean that we're putting him in a box. It means that he is set as the king of our heart, the Lord of our life. He is our God, and he is the Lord of hosts himself, and we are going to acknowledge him as that. Now, this becomes a very critical verse when we start looking at this definition of fear. So we see here very clearly, he says, and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. We understand that it requires how we view the Lord. You cannot view the Lord if you just look at him as some, you know, like your your bestest bud, like your best friend. I understand he is our friend, absolutely. But he's not the kind of friends that we have here on earth. He's very different. He's God. He's the Lord. He's our Savior. There's a, there's a great understanding that we have to have when it comes to who God is. And it starts off with understanding that God is God. He is the Lord and he has a specific place. And that is the preeminence over everything. As we saw over there in, when we're studying Colossians, we see that he, Jesus Christ himself, has the preeminence. Why? Because he created all things. By him, all things consist. They were made for his pleasure. We understand that and we realize who God is. So we set him in that place. That's what we do when we talk about sanctification. And it says, let him be your fear. And again, not something that we're chattering our teeth about and knocking our knees. And our hair turning white and you know, our, our face is turning pale and we're about ready to faint. Something very different about how we view the Lord. So let's go over to another verse and let's go over to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. I thought it was interesting that there was Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, and then obviously you've got uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13, in connection to, again, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 8 And in verse 13, we start getting a little bit more towards this avoid part. So the Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, and Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13 kind of link together. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14 uh, and Proverbs 8, 13 kind of link together because, again, they're talking about some things that need to be absent with this fear. 
And we see here in verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Now, this is wisdom speaking. And she specifically is calling out and saying, these are things that God hates. These are the things that we need to hate. This is what wisdom hates. Meaning wisdom is going to be absent from this. You're not wise if you are filled with pride. You are not wise if you are arrogant. You are not wise if your pathway is evil and harmful. You're uh, you're you're not wise if you are froward in your mouth. So we see very clearly that the Lord begins to outline some things about wisdom, but again, He calls it out as the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And then he goes in and explains what is evil. Pride, arrogancy, evil way, forward mouth. And he says specifically, they hate these things. So again, we've got a word that, you know, in today's day and age, hate is not a very popular word. As a matter of fact, it's it's one of those buzzwords that a lot of people use. But the Lord says, there are some things that we need to hate. Sin. You got to hate it. You gotta hate it more than I hate green beans. Uh, yeah, you gotta hate it more than I hate glitter. Oh man. You know, the holidays come around and I start getting anxiety, you know? <laughs> glitter showing up, there was glitter on our floor. I got glitter on me the other day from something that was in our house and I started like, <laughs> no, it's not that bad. <clears throat> but you know, I don't panic quite like that. But you know, you've gotta hate it. You've got to hate it. You've got to hate it so much that you don't even want it around. It has to be, if you will, the farthest thing from your thought process. I'm going to, I'm going to say that again and I want to emphasize it. When you hate something, it's not something that you sit there and you think about all the time. It's something that you go, ew, gross. I don't want to think about it. Because it can't become a God that you think about all the time. It has to be set aside. The world will teach you that in order to get rid of certain things, whether it's addictions or, or sin or bad behaviors or whatever they, they're going to call it, uh, they're going to say, well, you need to focus on these things and you need to, 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 to put like effort towards. Here, here, here's again, I go back to the issue of repentance. Repentance isn't turning from sin. Repentance, first and foremost, is a turning to God. When you turn to God, you automatically turn away from the sin. But if your purpose is, is I just want to turn away from the sin, you're not turning to God. You're not doing the godly repentance the way it's supposed to be. So the same thing is when it comes with hate. When you sit, sit there and think about hate and you're like, well, people don't want to hate. Look, you have to replace it with something that you love. And we're going to get to this in just a second. But here he's saying right there, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That means that that you don't want to regard it. You don't want to think about it. It's going to be hated. And what's going to be loved is the things that are good. The things that are good. And, and, And if again, we go back to the things that are good and we define those things, 
And that, if you will, that descriptor of the word good, like when we talk about good works, they have to be godly oriented. They have to be spiritually led by the Holy Spirit. That's good. He gives us good blessings. Those are things that we love. That's the stuff that you think about. A person that's going to focus on those things is a person that's going to be wise. Because why? Because you're hating everything that's evil. Everything that's harmful. Everything that's bad for you. Everything that's going to cause an issue, a problem, or lead to something that is sinful. You want to avoid that. You want to hate it. So let's kind of, you know, tie these, these verses that we just read together and let's go over to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. In 1 Samuel chapter 12. And in verse 14, here's Samuel saying, uh, to the people, and he says to them, he says, If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord. Now, now, now here, here here's the, the, the interesting part about this. This choice that he's been that the people have been given is to not rebel or to rebel, right? No. It's to obey God or to not obey God. When we begin to realize that the 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 idea and the concept here is to serve him and to obey him, to follow what he says, he makes it clear that the king is going to be a good king. Now, I, I love this part because there's a lot of people that will automatically jump and say, well, it's always management's fault, right? It's always management's fault. It's always leadership's fault. People blame, can sit there and blame the, the, the government all day long for the problems, right? But here's the problem. Uh, he's talking to the people. And he says, if you guys serve him and obey him, you're going to have influence on the leadership, the king. Oh. So yeah, leadership may fail, but so do the people. So do the people. So we see this here. He, he, he makes it very clear about following God. And I like to tie this together because again, he talks a little bit about the, the, the do and not do, the obey, serve and obey and don't rebel. Just like we were looking at over there with Deuteronomy, do this and with Joshua, don't, you know, put away those, the, those idols. With Isaiah, where again, it's, it's put God in the right place and let him be your fear. And Proverbs uh, 8, where he was talking about, uh, don't regard evil. You need to hate it. These are things that shouldn't be there. 
we begin to realize here, here, here is, here's an example of one of the greatest things with all of these five verses that we just talked about. What is the main thing? The Lord. The Lord. So let's talk about a working definition of what fear is. Fear can be defined as an earnest care, concern, and consideration of the heart and mind regarding an event, and that can be past, present, or future, a person, a thing, or the unknown and uncertainty that drives actions. Now, that's kind of a a long, wordy definition, but I think it clarifies what it's about. Because I want to specifically focus on that first part, that it is a care, a concern, and a consideration. So let me give you an example of an application of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is this. You're more concerned about God than anything else. You're more concerned about what he has told you to do that, if you will, that fear drives you to do what is right. Not in a fear of punishment, per se, but to sit there and go, I care about that. Because let's think about it this way. When a person uses fear incorrectly and they're fearful over something, let's say they're fearful they're going to lose their job. That's all they think about. That's all they think about. They have a health concern. They become fearful that they might die. They become fearful about what happens to their loved ones. That's all they think about. Somebody is, is racked with, with fear and anxiety because they're constantly fearing something bad is going to happen to them. That pending event, which may or may not come. It's not set in stone. You don't know. Some people get so wrapped up with that. They get so focused on what may be that that's all they think about. So again, we start thinking about this, this in, in more detail. So much, so many people get so focused on the unknown and the uncertainty of life that they become paralyzed with fear. Because again, it's all they care about, it's all they consider, and it's the only thing that concerns them in their life. That's fear. Now let's take that application and put it over on God. A person that fears the Lord cares about him. Why? Because that's all he thinks about. Or she. 
That's all they. That's all they're concerned with. That, 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 that's, that's the main concern of the day is God, the Lord. That's what they consider whenever they think about anything. They consider God first, sanctified. They want to serve him. They want to obey him. They want to hate what he hates. And they don't want to do anything that would be contrary to that. They want to avoid it. They want to hate the evil way. They want to put away those gods that were before. They put away pride and arrogancy. Those gods. They put away uh, anything that they serve as far as, you know, that, that replaces God in his position where they may sanctify something that doesn't belong there in God's position, in God's place. So now we begin to see there's a little bit more, if you will, of an active definition of what this is about. I mean, you think about this, in, in today's day and age, people talk about fear and they talk about the fight or flight mentality, the fight or flight mentality. And I've, I've, I've heard and talked about this and, and been through training with all of this stuff. You, you, you get through the point of where something happens and they, they say there's the fear response and that fear response should be motivating you to do X, Y, and Z. So in, in, in a matter of, of milliseconds, you've got to determine whether or not this is a fight or flight situation. You have to determine that. You don't get a lot of time to do that. You can't say to the, the person that's got the baseball bat that's coming at you going, hold on a second, let me think about this. <laughs> you don't get to do that, do you? Well, well what are you doing with that? You're exhibiting consideration. Is it better for me to stay here and stand my ground and fight? Or should I just move away from the situation and live to fight another day? And battlefields do that all the time. Tactical engagements with law enforcement officers do that all the time. They have to determine, okay, you know, there's a lot of consideration. Is this a situation that we need to back off because we're putting civilians at risk? Is this a situation where I'm putting other officers at risk? Is this a situation where I'm putting my life at risk? So you don't see one lone officer going in and charging, you know, 15 to 20 bad guys. You only see that stuff in movies and TV. Why? Because they're taught. There is a time to retreat. You realize there's a time to retreat. There's a time to, to, to flee. Doesn't God say flee with youthful lusts? Flee fornication? Flee like Joseph? Get out of Dodge as fast as you can? Run for your life. So many times we think that it's all about standing. Well, not always. 
Sometimes we flee. Sometimes that's the great Christian response is to flee. Sometimes that's the way we escape that temptation that he talks about over there to the church of Corinth. We, we, we realize that there's, there's something that we do. So there's a consideration that's there. And why is that? Because there's something that we care about. A person that is fearful, the reason they're fearful for their, of losing their job is because they have cares, right? They have worries. They've got a goldfish to feed. They gotta worry about that. There's care and concern. They're, they're concerned about what's gonna happen afterwards. Okay, I get laid off, am I gonna find another job? Am I gonna have to go work at Taco Bell? I don't know. They're offering like 18 bucks an hour now. If you go work up in SeaTac, you know what? You know what the minimum wage in SeaTac is nowadays? Good grief. I remember when I started, minimum wage was like five bucks. Yeah. But they're talking, the minimum wage in the SeaTac area is like $19, $20 an hour. Well, it's SeaTac. <laughs> yeah. Just keeps going up and up and up. <laughs> they talk about inflation, talk about, you know, all, if you will, that, that, that economic creep. Think about this for a moment. People become so fearful of that because they've got such great concern. What am I going to do? That's something as simple as a job. But here we are, and, and, and it should be the care and concern that we're exhibiting to the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I'm concerned about doing the right thing, as we read in those passages. I am concerned about making sure that I am doing your will in my life. This goes under that category of what people call fear, specifically fear of the Lord where he is your complete care, concern, and consideration in every event and every interaction that you have in your life, even when it means you are unsure about what the outcome will be. We get so, so sometimes we get so concerned with that. All, all of a sudden, you know, we, we want to become God because we want to know the future. And you know what happens is the future becomes our God because we're so concerned about it instead of concerned about what God says to do right here in the present. What he tells us to do about the past. What does he tell us to do about the past? Forgetting those things that are behind. Past is the past. Can't undo it. We can reconcile, we can repair, we can restore. We can do things like that, but you can't undo it. There's no time machine, right? God didn't give us one. So as we begin to see this, we begin to see what happens. And, and, and I want to get to a couple of verses here before we close. Go over to the book of uh, Psalms. We're going to say in Psalms and Proverbs, so you don't have to go far. 
But Psalms chapter 25. Because here's, here's what happens when fear is used correctly. If you use anger correctly, it will solve. God, God has given it to you to solve the problem. You use anger incorrectly without the word of God, you're going to mess it up, right? And that's generally when we mess it up, when we use anger incorrectly. But here in Psalm chapter 25 and in verse 12, it says, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. You want to know the secret of peace? Fear God. Do you not want to have a care about the things that happen in the world, but care more about what God wants? That's fear of the Lord. And he says here very clearly, this is a man that is teachable. Now, isn't that interesting when we start talking about over there in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and and chapter 9, verse 10? And we're going to see the parallel passage here with Psalm 111 verse 10 here in just a moment, but, but, but the idea is this. There's an entrance into the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding of God, and it comes through the instruction of the Lord, through His Word, through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. But you can't get there if you're filled with pride and arrogancy. You're not teachable. So somebody that is going to put themselves at ease by learning the things of God is going to enter into a very different heart attitude and spiritual mindset. I want you to take a look at Psalm chapter 110 and verse 11, or verse 10, excuse me, 111 verse 10. I will get it right one of these days. Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. What do we find? We find that this is talking about praising God. We're talking about how to endure in that praise is to fear him. What does that mean? You're constantly thinking about him. You're constantly focused on him. And you know what that leads to? That leads to wisdom. That leads to wisdom. When you realize you're sanctifying God in your hearts and you're putting him in the right place, who he is because he of who he is, it leads to this. That fear of the Lord, it begins to lead to wisdom. Psalm, or Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to take a look at these two verses and we'll wrap it up. Proverbs chapter 1, and I want you to see here in verse 7. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know what he's talking about right there? He's making it very clear that the entrance into knowing God, knowing his will, knowing his word, all of that, starts off with this understanding of I need to care more about God than what anything else man puts in front of me. My concern should always be 
the outcome for the Lord, his glory, his honor, his praise. My consideration should always be, is this in his will? That's the fear of the Lord. That begins to open up so much spiritual growth in a person's life. The final verse over in chapter 9, verse 10. In similar fashion, we see in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. When you know what is holy and what is the right thing to do, you begin to understand how to live this Christian life. And it all starts off with fearing God. Knowing where he is in your life, knowing what you're to do, knowing what you're to avoid, but above all, always regarding the Lord in everything you do. That's the fear of God. The fear of man is to regard what men think. The fear of man is to regard something that you can't even begin to fathom, the unknown. The fear of man is to worry yourself with more cares and concerns than you can manage in your life. And it takes away the trust from God. Psalm chapter 31, verse 19. We come full circle. Right back to that verse. We begin to realize that the fear of the Lord is important. And if I go back to what I was talking about with Jesus Christ and the character of Christ on earth, he cared about doing the will of the Father. He cared about glorifying the Father. He cared about that. That was his care. That was his concern. And that was his consideration in everything that he engaged in in this life. So we begin to see that Christ set that example for us to live that way. This is just kind of, if you will, a very basic summary of what the fear of the Lord is about. Once we begin to understand that concept, things in the Christian life start becoming more understandable. We become more teachable. We become more willing to learn because we want to know what God cares or what God thinks about. We're caring about his concerns and not our own. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. I thank you again, Lord, for this subject matter that you teach us. I thank you again for your word that makes it pretty clear. Lord, again, I just thank you for this opportunity to just get into this tonight to study and uh, do a little bit of a, uh, um, uh in-depth look at this concept of fearing you. And Lord, I pray that we would learn something from this that we would regard you in everything that we do, our care, our concern, our consideration, every event, every person, 
uh, every interaction, even the things that we're uncertain to, uncertain of, or we are unknowing, that Lord, it would always come back to the trust that we place in you. I thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. Pray you just take us home safely. Bring us back again on Sunday, Lord, to just uh, enjoy the time of fellowship and uh, praise and worship. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.